Well, thank God for his grace. Saved a wretch like me. By the way, all of us were wretches. I'm looking at a bunch of wretches. <laughs> but you're looking at the biggest wrench. Uh, we're all, we all desperately needed his grace. And I'm glad that he showed it to us. And uh, praise the Lord. Thank you for singing that today, Miss Tammy. I appreciate that. Miss Robin, thank you for playing. Well, if you would take your Bible today and turn to Mark chapter number 11. Mark chapter 11, and today, Lord willing, we're going to finish Mark chapter 11. We're going to finish the chapter today, Lord willing. As you're turning there, if you would join me in standing for the reading of God's word, out of respect and reverence for the reading of God's holy word. Mark chapter 11, we're going to read verses 27 down through verse number 33. Mark 11, 27. And the Bible says this, And they come again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, there come to him the chief priests and the scribes and the elders, and say unto him, By what authority doest thou these things? And who gave thee this authority to do these things? And Jesus answered and said unto them, I will also ask of you one question, and answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or of men? Answer me. And they reason within themselves, saying, well, if we shall say from heaven, he will say, well, why then did you not believe him? But if we shall say of men, they feared the people. For all men counted John that he was a prophet indeed. And they answered and said unto Jesus, We cannot tell. And Jesus answering, saith unto them, Neither do I tell you by what authority I do these things. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the time together. This morning already it's been a blessed service. As we've sung these songs and as we have witnessed a dear man following you in baptism, but Lord, now as we turn our attention to your word, I pray that you would help us to understand what your word is saying, and then Lord, help us to apply the truth to our own lives. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would remove the distractions from us, help us, Lord, to focus in on what you'd have for us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, in this passage, we find Jesus returning to the temple the day immediately after he created quite a scene there in that temple. And I want to remind you what happened the day before the passage we just read. Now look with me in verse number 15, and let's be reminded of what Jesus did there in the temple that created quite a stir, quite a scene. Verse number 15 of Mark 11 says this, And they come to Jerusalem, and Jesus went into the temple and began to shake everybody's hand and say, Hey, good to see you all. Brothers? Uh, no, that's not what happened there. No, he uh, went into the temple and began to cast out them that sold 
and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. So Jesus went in and he wreaked havoc. And it wasn't this uh, calm demeanor that Jesus displayed. No, he was angry, had that righteous indignation because his house was being abused the place that was supposed to be a place of prayer and worship for God had become a place where people could pad their wallets. And Jesus was not pleased. And so he comes in there and overthrows these tables and, and, and casts people out. And, and uh, my, my daughter said to me, she's like, man, I've never heard you yell quite like you did the, the, the day you preached on this. And, and uh, don't ever do that again. <laughs> She didn't say that part, but I could tell it was like, let's not go there again. I don't like seeing that side of you. Uh, I, I, I do do that sometimes during the sports season uh, when the Dallas Stars are not shooting the puck when they need to and all of that. But no, Jesus came in there and he was angry and he made quite a, quite a scene. And so the text that I read a moment ago, verses 23 through 27 through 33, all take place the following day. And so can you imagine the drama that this caused and that uh, after Jesus left the temple the day before, after he caused all this, uh, this huge scene, no doubt he was the talk of the town. This began to spread everywhere. I mean, it made not only the nightly news, but I mean, it went viral on social media. And uh, everybody was talking about it. Everybody knew about it. But the very next day, Jesus returns to the temple in verse 27. So the next day he comes, and uh, now can you imagine what people thought when they saw Jesus coming to the temple again? They're like, oh no, here he comes again. What is he going to do this time? I'm going to bolt my tables down to the floor. He's not going to flip mine over today. Uh, no, no, no. And uh, what, what's he going to do? Well, as we're going to discover as we go through this passage, and we already read it a moment ago, he wasn't the aggressive one this time. No, there were others who wanted to push back on his display of authority. And we'll learn that while he is the miracle-working, serving Savior, he is also the silencing Savior as he quiets down these religious leaders. So what lessons can we learn from this passage which shows us the silencing Savior. Let's get into it today. Let's notice, first of all, as we walk through this passage, and I do understand there is food coming after this message, so I'm going to try to hasten a little bit, because um, I, I understand that we all need to get over there and enjoy some good sandwiches. I'm looking forward to diving into those. But first, let's look uh, this morning at the conspiracy of the Sanhedrin, the conspiracy of the Sanhedrin. In verse number 27, the Bible says this, and they come again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, guess who meets him there? Guess who's expecting him to come and ready for him to come? There come to him the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. So the day before, Jesus came to the temple and cleaned house, right? He came in and totally disrupted their way of life and assumed authority. He, he took over as if he was the one in charge. Now, let me just call a timeout here, I do want to make it very clear. He was the one in charge. And here's another, by the way, he is still in charge of the way his house should be run and operated. 
And that's why in our purpose statement here at Cornerstone Baptist Church, the first focus and priority is for us as a church to exalt the Savior. Because this is His church, and we want to acknowledge that He has the right to determine what we do and don't do, and how we do things here at Cornerstone Baptist Church, because He is the authority in charge here at Cornerstone. You say, well, no, that's your position, Pastor. Aren't you in charge? I'm just the under-shepherd. He's the great shepherd. And this is His church. Yes, one day I will have to answer to Him about this church. I will have to give it no account. So he's still in charge, but uh, there is he waltzed into the temple on that the day before and assumed authority, and all these chief priests and elders and scribes were going, hey, who does he think he is? And so how did they respond to what he did there in the temple? Um, well, look here in verse number 18. The Bible says here, the scribes and the chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him, for they feared him because of all the people was astonished at his doctrine. So after Jesus leaves the day before, after he causes that huge stir and scene, these chief priests and scribes get together and talk and, and uh, figure out how they could destroy him, how they could uh, take him down. And they were steaming mad about what happened the day before, no doubt, and had come up with a plan to trap Jesus. So they form a group who would shut Jesus down with some questions. They're going to trap him in his own words. Now, before we get into those questions, I want you to notice something here as you compare verse 27 with verse number 18. In verse number 18, it says, the scribes and the chief priests, only two groups. But then when you pick it up in verse 27, it says, they come again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, there come to him the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. So now there's three groups. And so here's what happened there. They added to their company. Uh, they started gathering more people, the scribes and chief priests did. And so they recruit some elders to come. These three groups, by the way, are known as the, they form what is known as the Sanhedrin, the religious elite and those who called the shots, those who were the religious authority in that day. And so they're like, hey, we've got to take this guy down because he's, he's messing with our authority. People are starting to look to him as the authority instead of to us. And we become, we're starting to get a little insecure, so we've got to take Jesus down. And so they have a plan. Well, when Jesus comes back to the temple, we'll meet him, and we're going to ask him a question, and he's going to have to answer it, and we're going to get him right in his words, and that'll be enough to take him down and to execute him. And so what was the questions that they asked Jesus in verse 28? Said, and they said unto him, By what authority doest thou these things? And who gave thee this authority to do these things? And what are the things that they're referring to? Well, I would imagine they're referring to Jesus coming into the temple 
and overthrowing the money changers' tables and casting out those who sold and bought and, and, and the seats of those who sold doves. They, they, those are the things that they're referring to. Who gave you the authority? Who do you think you are coming in here doing that? And not only that, but who do you think you are coming into Jerusalem, riding on a donkey, and having people uh, say, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord? Who do you think you are? Who gave you this authority? By what authority do you do all these things? And they thought, he's going to probably say God, and we'll nab him right there. We'll have him right where we want him. By the way, they had no real desire to find out the answers to their questions. They were not seeking for answers. They were looking for an opportunity to get him to say something that would give them ammunition to use against him. This was a conspiracy against him in order to take him down, to remove him, to destroy him. In verse number 18, that's what they wanted to do, how they might destroy him. By the way, this is not the last time that men will try to destroy the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn your Bible to Revelation chapter 20. You see, there's going to be another conspiracy against our Savior. Uh, another attempt to overthrow the ruling and reigning of the Lord Jesus. And this will take place at the end of the millennial reign of Christ. I just want to show it to you real briefly. Revelation chapter 20, look with me in verse number 7. The Bible says, when the thousand years are expired. So Jesus rules and reigns for a thousand years on the throne of David. And then when the thousand years are expired, Satan is going to be loosed out of his prison. And what is he going to do? Satan is, here's what he's going to do in verse number eight. He's going to go out to deceive the nations wherein the, which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle. The number of whom, by the way, is as the sand of the sea. And it's amazing to me, after a thousand years of a perfect reign with a perfect commander-in-chief that oversees the whole world, there's still going to be, because of the sinfulness of the hearts of men, there's still going to be an uprising where the Bible says the number is of whom is as the sand of the sea. I mean, there's just a great host of people that are going to say, yes, we want to overthrow Jesus Christ. And so what's going to happen in verse number 9? They went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city. So they form this huge, they organize into a, a big group and, and it's this well thought out plan. And what happens? Verse number nine nonchalantly says this, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. I mean, there's this huge army that's going to take down Jesus once and for all, this attempt to overthrow Jesus, this conspiracy. What's going to happen to it? They're going to get to, that. They're going to, get to the brink of doing it, and they're going to be like, okay, we're all ready to go. Just send the marching orders in. Before that happens, just fire just immediately comes down from heaven and just poof. It, it's kind of like, you know, if you've ever had an anthill in your backyard or front yard and, and all those ants look at you going, we're going to take you down. And you're like, seriously? That's what's going to be like. 
Satan's going to gather all these people. We're going to take Jesus down. And he's going to look down and go, fire from heaven. And devour them all. So back to Mark chapter 11. So that future conspiracy in Revelation 20 is going to be thwarted. It's going to come to naught. And by the way, so is the conspiracy of the Sanhedrin right here. They're going to be silenced. Because you see, Jesus is not going to be taken because of the false witness and of words. No, no, no. He's going to lay his life down. Now, eventually, he's going to allow the chief priests and the scribes to have their way, but not right now. There's still a little work for him to do. He's not going to let them win this debate because Jesus is the master debater. By the way, if you ever think you can debate with God, you know what? Some of us try, to, try though, don't we? God, I would do this, but, and we give our defense, exhibit A, exhibit B, uh, here's why I can't do it. And we begin to debate with God, and God's like, you debate all you want, uh, but uh, I have all wisdom. Now, Jesus here shows his wisdom, and then next thought here, so we see the conspiracy, the Sanhedrin, Sanhedrin, but then we see, number two, the challenge of the Savior. In verse number 29, Jesus answered and said unto them, hey, I will also ask you one question, and you answer me, and then I'll tell you by what authority I do these things. And here's my question, the baptism of John, was it from heaven or is of, was it of men? You, you go ahead and tell me, answer me. So these men issued a challenge to the Lord, but he had a challenge for them as well. So he answers their question with a question. It's always sometimes a good idea to do. When your kids say, can I do this? Then a good question is, well, what would the Lord think? You answer a question with a question. Your spouse says, hey, can I buy this? So what would the Lord think? <laughs> You're not allowed to use that on me, but I'm allowed to use it on you, okay? Um, so he answers their question with a question and then promises, hey, I'll answer your question once they answer his. And the question was, of course, the baptism of, God, of John. Was it from heaven or was it of men? What would they say? And this was an important question. And, and it really put them in a bind. He, he put them in a corner. He put them in a pickle. They didn't know how to answer it. And uh, verse number 31 tells us they reasoned within themselves. They kind of got together and had a little huddle. Okay, now if we say this, then this. If we say that, then that. So what are we going to do? And they had this huddle, and they came to a conclusion, he's got us. He's got us. By the way, he, Jesus didn't have to say anything to them. He didn't owe them any answers. And by the way, he doesn't owe us any answers either. Sometimes we, God allows us to go through difficult times and we go, why God? God doesn't owe us an explanation. Sometimes God makes us privy to some of the reasons why in time, but he doesn't owe us an explanation. He's God. He doesn't owe us anything. He didn't owe these guys anything. He didn't even... Oh, then the time of day, and yet he still says, hey, I'll give you an opportunity to find out the answer to your question, but you've got to answer mine first. 
So the baptism of John, was it from heaven or of men? Verse number 31 says, they reasoned within themselves, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, why then did you not believe him? And, and no doubt that was the correct answer, by the way, that the baptism of John was indeed from heaven, that John, his ministry and his message came from heaven. And God put a stamp of approval upon it, so much so that the Lord Jesus followed in baptism. And so, yes, it was from heaven, but they didn't want to say that because Jesus would then turn around and say, well, then why didn't you believe his message about repentance and the fact that I am here, the, the, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Why didn't you believe the, his message then? And so like, well, we can't say that because we don't believe his message. Even though no doubt it was indeed from heaven, they were forced not to say that because they didn't want Jesus to say, well, then why didn't you believe him? And so they thought, well, maybe we'll say we believe his baptism was of men. The problem with that was that a lot of the common people really liked John. He was a different dude, as you know. He had a different attire. He wore camel skins and a leather girdle. Aren't you glad I didn't uh, come today wearing that? Now, he also had a different diet. He ate locusts and wild honey. I'm all for wild honey, but the locust thing, I'm out. Give me a Big Mac instead. Some of you healthy people are like, you probably should try the locusts instead of the Big Mac. It's probably better for you. I know it probably is, but it sure isn't better to me. Well, as a result of John and his message and his ministry, the average citizen in that day really looked up to John and really thought he was a he was finally preaching after 400 years of silence John the Baptist comes on the scene and he's the voice of one crying in the wilderness and uh, he's making a way and preparing the way for the Lord Jesus Christ and and so people are are, are thrilled that finally they're hearing from God again and, and and so they all respected John and and loved his ministry and so if they said, well, I believe that his baptism was of men, they feared the people because the people knew his baptism was from heaven. And they thought, no, the people are going to take us down. They're not going to listen to us anymore if we say of men. That would stir up the people because they accepted John and believed that it was from heaven. So they were in a pickle. I love J. Vernon McGee and the way he put things. In his commentary on this verse, he said, uh, my friend, they were not seeking an answer. They were trying to trap him. They had no intention of following his teachings if he had told them. He doesn't answer them because he is not falling into their trap. This, to me, is one of the great proofs of his deity, the way he handled his enemies. By the way, a mark of a Christian is how we handle our enemies as well. Uh, we're supposed to hate our enemies, right? That's not the word and message of Christ. We are to love our enemies, to bless them that persecute you. Is that what we feel like doing in the moment? Absolutely not. And yet, that is what we are called to do. And Jesus is our ultimate example here. He could have, he could have just said, be dead to all these guys who are trying to accuse him and trap him. He had the power and ability to do that, but he chose to give them a question of his own. And the way he handled uh, 
his enemies was a tremendous example to us. So we see the challenge of the Savior. And then number three here, the conclusion of silence. In verse 33, they answered and said unto Jesus, we cannot tell. Well, Jesus answering saith unto them, well, neither do I tell you by what authority I do these things. You ain't going to tell me. I ain't going to tell you. Conversation over. These men tried to lay a trap for Jesus, but they were the ones who ended up caught. They were the ones backed into a corner. And notice they said in verse 33, we cannot tell. So Sanhedrin, is it really we cannot or we will not? Is it can't or won't? I believe in their minds it was won't. And Jesus, who opened the mouths of those who couldn't speak, was here able to stop the mouths of those who did. In many ways, the fig tree was a picture of the Sanhedrin, wasn't it? They had a form of health. They had leaves. They had a form of religion. They have a form of godliness and, and helpfulness. And yet when you came down to it, there was no fruit there. And so as a result, just like Jesus cursed the figs, cursed the fig tree and, and, it, and it withered up as Jesus answer, asked these questions to these men, withered them right up, withered them right up. We cannot tell. And they were kind of like, in that, you know, I, we have a dog. Her name is Abby. And sometimes when she's seeing an animal like a bunny rabbit in our yard, she gets all like in that hunting stance, like aggressive. She's about to pounce on him. But then sometimes when I tell her, no bad dog, and she puts her tail between her legs and walks away. Isn't that the picture of these, the Sanhedrin? They're ready to pounce on Jesus and take him. And then Jesus just has a way of making them put their tail between their leg and walking away. The conclusion of silence. Now, ultimately, this passage is really all about the authority of Jesus Christ. And the scribes and the chief priests and the elders were not willing to believe that Jesus really had the authority. Two quick thoughts as we wrap this up today. First of all, like, what does this have to do with me? Number one, accept Christ's authority that he is who he says he is. See, Jesus really is who he said he was. Jesus really is the Messiah. Jesus really is the Son of God. He is God in human flesh. He is the Lord of glory, and he has all authority. Matthew 28, 18, after Jesus rose from the grave, Jesus came and spake unto his disciples, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. All power. Does that mean he could lift all the weights he wants to lift? I guess if he really wanted to, but that's not what he was referring to. He was really referring to the fact that he had all authority, and he, had the right, he has the right to tell people what to do. You know, in the, when you're playing with your, when I was growing up, I would play with my friends and, and uh, they would tell me what to do. And I'm like, you're not my dad. 
okay, well, the Lord has the right to tell us what to do. We can't say to him, well, you're not my, okay, you are my savior. You are the Lord of glory. You do have the right. You are my creator. Yes, you do have the right to tell me what to do. See, he was saying that he had all authority. And by the way, his miracles proved that he did have all power and authority. No scribes and elders. They saw him with the spoken word wither that, cause that tr fig tree to wither away. He saw, they, they heard about all the miracles, the, the healings and all the things that God did, that, that Jesus did, the, the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000, perhaps the walking on the water, all the things that Jesus did. Yes, he had authority. His, his miracles proved that he did. But also his resurrection proved it as well. You see, when he walked out of that tomb, it was his final death blow to any doubt that anyone had regarding his authority. He had all power. So accept Christ's authority that he is who he says he is. But number two, not only are we to accept his authority, but we need to submit to his authority. It's one thing to say, okay, yeah, he has all power. He has all authority. But now we need to submit to it. The Sanhedrin, they didn't accept his authority. You know why? Because if they did, then they wouldn't be the ones who were in charge anymore. They wanted to be large and in charge. They wanted to be in control of their lives, and they wanted to be one, the ones calling the shots. But you know what? We kind of look down our nose at the Sanhedrin. How could you do that? But don't you know that all of us have a little bit of Sanhedrin in us? Where we want to be the ones in charge? where we want to be the authority, where we want to be the ones in the driver's seat. Luke has got his permit, and he likes to drive a lot. I would just assume drive myself, because <laughs> I, I like to be in the driver's seat, especially when he's driving. Uh, he's fine. He's a good driver. He's a little safer than some people you all know. <laughs> But I, I like to drive the speed I like to drive and, and to be in the lane I like to be in and, and, and to turn the turn signal on when I like to turn it on. And you know what I'm talking about. We don't like to give the keys to somebody else. What I'm saying today is give the keys to the Lord Jesus. By the way, he has a perfect driving record. Does he allow accidents in our life? Literal car accidents? Yes, he does. But his path is the best path for us. If, if you had the ability to look at your life lived the way that if you were in charge of everything and you kind of tailor-made everything exactly the way you wanted it, if you had the ability to look at your life that way and then compare it with the life lived according to God's plan and God's will, I am guarantee every one of us would want God's will every time. Now, it may not look the same, as, or I'm telling you, it's not going to look the same at all. Um, but, but when it's all said and done, you're going to want God's will. I promise you that. So give him the keys. He desires to drive, and he's a way better driver than you are. You say, well, I don't like it when he goes into the valleys of the shadow of death. I know, no one likes that part. 
but it's part of it. And remember, Jesus went through the valley of the shadow of death for us on the cross of Calvary. So while the Sanhedrin were in complete denial about who Jesus really was, you and I are in the know. We understand that Jesus was and is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God, and that he is the Lord of glory, and that he is the authority in charge. Since, that the, since that's the case, have you been submissive to him? Or have you been arguing with him? Can I just tell you that if you force your will, he'll probably let you have it. He did that with the Israelites. Yeah, they wanted something. They wanted a king. And then when, later, earlier on, they wanted, um, let me go ahead and turn over to uh, Psalm 106. And you can turn over there if you want to, uh, just to see it for yourself. There it is. In verse number 14, Psalm 106, verse 14. They lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. And so they lusted and they kind of forced their will upon God. So verse 15, he gave them a request. He said, fine, you can have what you really want. But look at the end of verse 15. He gave them their requests, but sent leanness into their soul. They thought, hey, we won. We got what we wanted. But they realized, oh, it's not all what it was cracked up to be. It didn't meet the need of my soul. And so going back here to Mark 11, look. Are you submissive to the Lord or are you going to keep fighting and trying to force your will? You keep fighting. God might just let you have your will. But that's the worst thing you could ever get. Ultimately, you will regret it. Luke 6.46 says this, Jesus says, Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Most of us are good about putting on a show and outwardly saying we adore the Lord, but do we really submit to him? Do we really do the things which he says for us to do? Whosoever cometh to me, Jesus says, and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. He is like a man which built an house, dig deep, laid the foundation on a rock, and when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. But he that heareth and doeth not is like a man that without a foundation built a house upon the earth, against which the stream did be, beat vehemently, and immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. Look, we hear that song, Wise man built his house upon the rock and the sand. Okay? I don't want to sing the whole song and ruin it for everybody. But the message of that is not for the people outside the room. It's for people inside the room who know who he is and has heard what he has said and knows what he says and chooses to not do it. Those are the ones who are building their lives upon sand, 
Those who hear the word of God, know what the word of God says, and does them and obeys them and submits to his authority, those are the ones who build upon that rock and have the strong foundation. James 4, verses 6 and 7. But he giveth more grace. This was June's memory verse. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. We need to be submissive to the Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 32 and verse number 8. God says, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way that which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. So he promises to lead us and to guide us and to direct us. But then he issues a warning here. Be not as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee. He said, I'm trying to lead you. I'm trying to instruct you. I'm trying to guide you. But don't be like the mule who needs to have the bit in his mouth to lead and guide. You and I who know the Lord, it should be our desire to follow the Lord rather than to be forced and to pull, be pulled. A couple weeks ago, uh, Abby, our dog, came into our house and passed by a couple of our kids and they were like, Abby, you stink. Nasty. Somebody needs to clean the dog and no one was really interested in doing that and I've I understand why now, because I have never done it until this day, uh, until the day I'm referring to. I took her outside and got the hose, and uh, we tried to bring Abby over, and she saw what we were doing, and did she want to go? You know she did not. And we're like trying to pull her, pull her, and, and she's using all her strength to push against what we're trying to do. We knew she needed that cleaning. We knew she needed to go through that. She sure didn't want it. The Lord is trying to get us to do things that we need in our life. Are we like Abby going, oh, no, you don't. And we, we, we push against it with all our might. Here he says, be not as the horse or the mule which have no understanding, whose mouths must be held in with bit and bridle. Don't be like a stubborn mule. So I just want to ask you as we close today. What area do you need to submit to the authority of Jesus Christ in your life? Is it trusting him for salvation? Maybe you've heard the gospel many times. and You need to finally submit to his authority and trust him as your savior. If you've not done that, today's the day to submit finally. To give in to him and say, Lord, I believe. And for those who are, well, I just need more proof. I just need more evidence. I just need to figure it out. At some point, you need to submit to his authority. Is it trusting him for salvation? Is it following him in believer's baptism? Maybe you've been saved and not yet been baptized, and, and the Lord's been pinpointing this in your heart, and you're like, ah. Look, Jesus was baptized. Tony today got baptized, and I remember sitting at our house on Thursday night, and I was talking about baptism. It came up, of course, as I mentioned, and, and I was like, hey, I don't want to push you into this. I don't want to rush this, and he's like, let's do it Sunday. I'm like, well, I mean, we can, I mean, but I don't want to, you know, manipulate you into doing this, and he's like, let's do it Sunday. 
All right. So we did it Sunday. <laughs> uh, that's the heart we need to have. It, it, when, when it comes to God's speaking and leading in our life, look, let's not wait. Let's not delay. I like the, uh, the story in uh, Acts chapter 8 with the, Philip, uh, the Ethiopian eunuch who wanted to get baptized. He said, what doth hinder me to be baptized? Let's, get, let's, let's settle it now. Let's do it now. So do you need to follow him in baptism? Is it giving your first part of your day to God by opening this precious book right here and receiving your daily bread, your daily bread? You need to submit to him in that area of your life. Is it in giving the first part of your resources back to God through your tithes and offerings? Is it in forgiving someone who hurt you? Is he leading you to do that? Is there something in your life that the Lord has been urging you to leave behind, to remove from your life? Maybe an influence that's leading you away from the Lord. Maybe it's an ungodly entertainment. Whatever it is, submit to his authority. Is it making the Lord's house a top priority in your life? That being in church takes precedence over sports, school, and work. That whenever the church doors are open, that you will walk through those doors unless you are providentially hindered. By the way, this means Sunday morning, Sunday night, except for tonight, and Wednesday night. <laughs> because guess what? We actually have other services through the week, and they're not the same. I know some churches, they have multiple services, but they're the same service repeated over and over and over again. Here at Cornerstone, we have a different Sunday school, a different morning service, a different evening service, and Wednesday night. They're all different sermons, hopefully. Uh, and uh, they're, they're, they're all different, and they're all meant for your spiritual growth. Is the Lord leading you to serve in the ministry? You might be saying, well, I've been there, done that. I've, I'm retired now. I've done my share of serving in the nursery and the ministry. I used to do things. I used to help with different ministries, but, you know, I'm going to let the other younger crowd get involved. Look, I realize that your health may not allow you to do some of the things you used to do, but don't retire from serving the Lord, please. If you are still breathing this morning, God still has a purpose for your life and still wants you to serve in some way, shape, or form. Find what that is and get involved. Is it in giving your life to serve the Lord in full-time service? To go to a foreign land, perhaps, to give your life uh, to sharing the life-changing message of the gospel to those who have never heard. Do you remember Jesus' only prayer request? He only had one. He asked us to pray that the Lord of the harvest would send forth laborers. Are we praying? And are we willing to be the answer to those prayers? When Nan Arm Judson graduated from college and seminary, he received a call from a fashionable church in Boston to become its assistant pastor. Everyone congratulated him. His mother and sister rejoiced that he could live at home with them and do his life's work. But Judson simply shook his head. My work is not here, he said, knowing that God had called him to a foreign land. He said, God is calling me beyond the seas to stay here, even to serve God in the ministry. I would, uh, I would feel... Uh, I feel it would only be partial obedience, and I could not be happy in that. And although it cost him a great struggle, he left his mother and sister to follow the heavenly call. And by the way, Judson's churches in Burma have had 50,000 converts, and the influence of his consecrated life is still being felt around the world even to this day. It's because he was willing to be submissive to the Lord's leadership in his life. 
Do you need to submit to him when it comes to witnessing to a coworker or neighbor? Maybe you've been putting it off, putting it off, putting it off. What is it today that the Lord has been leading you to do? Submit to him. Can I encourage you to stop being a stubborn mule? We would say amen to the fact that Jesus has all authority. But does our heart say amen? And does our life say amen when it comes to submitting to his authority? Stop fighting God. The only way to win the battle of, is to surrender to his authority. Last story, and then I'll pray and wrap it up. I've said that a couple times, haven't I? Roger Staubach, who led the Dallas Cowboys to the Super Bowl victory in 1971. Any Cowboy fans here today? Okay, a couple, okay. You are? Okay, Sammy is a Cowboys fan. Okay, we need to pray for Sammy. <laughs> By the way, we're talking about Dallas Cowboys. So, Not to be confused with the other Cowboys here in Oklahoma. Who led the Dallas Cowboys Super Bowl victory in 1971 admitted that his position as a quarterback who didn't call his own signals was a source of trial for him. Coach Landry sent in every play. He told Roger when to pass and when to run. And only in emergency situations could he change the play. And he better be right. Even though Roger considered Coach Landry to have a genius mind when it came to football strategy, pride said that he should be able to run his own team. So Roger had a decision to make. Would he allow pride to rule his life and ignore his coach, making himself the star? Or would he listen to the coach and do what he wanted? Staubach later said, I faced up to the issue of obedience. Once I learned to obey, there was harmony, fulfillment, and victory. Today, God is wanting to lead you to spiritual victory in a life that will impact others for glory, but will only be so if we are willing to accept and submit to his authority. Let's pray, to, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the day. Thank you for the time to look at this passage when you silenced your critics. Those who attempted to take you down, you asked a question back to them, which ended up silencing them. And Lord, as we've looked at that, we're understanding that the crux of the message, the crux of that passage was regarding your authority. The fact that you have all authority and that we need to accept that, but not only accept it, but we also need to submit to it. And Lord, I pray that for my brothers and sisters here in this room today, that you would help us all, Lord, to be submissive to your authority. That there would be nothing that we would not be willing to do wherever, however you're leading us, Lord, that we would have a yielded heart, a submissive heart, like Mary, the mother of Jesus, did when she found out she was going to be expecting the Son of God, when she said, be it unto me according to to thy word. Whatever you want, I'm willing to do. If it completely, radically changed my life, so be it. Lord, you gave your life for me. And no sacrifice is too big for me to make for you. Lord, help us to have a submissive heart.
to whatever you're leading us to do. I pray, Lord, you'd help us all to take the next step, whatever that may be today. As you lead and guide us, help us to surrender and submit to your authority. Our heads are bowed, eyes closed. Uh, Miss Robin, if you'd begin playing, and as she does, I want to invite you to have a time of prayer, a decision there in your seat.